Hey there, No Labels, No Limits podcast listeners. I am really excited and I've been excited for a few days knowing I was going to speak to today's guest, which is, she's Joan Cool. First, I'm going to tell you why I'm excited. One of the things I noticed, she's just written a new book called Dig Your Heels In. We're going to talk about the book. Um, and I'm excited about the book, but that's not the only reason I'm excited to talk to Joan. You're going to love her. She's got high energy. But one of the things that she writes about in her book is that her own passion is, you know, to lift and inspire others up. And um, as you on the No Labels, No Limits podcast know, we're all about that, of breaking through barriers and perceived limitations so that you can go out and do what matters to you in your life and be more of that. But now I'll give you a little background on Joan. She's the fan founder of Why Millennials Matter, and she's an author, speaker, but most importantly, she's a champion of women in leadership. Now, that could be something really simple to say and throw away like it's just a tagline, but for Joan, it's really personal. She's learned a lot from studying and research, but she also has um, a personal connection to why that matters. She has um, worked with some of the largest organizations, including Goldman Sachs, Eli Lilly, University of North Carolina Business School, and the New York Mets. Now, there's a dichotomy right there. (laughs) And you know the New York Mets, if I'm not messing this up, used to be the Giants before they came to San Francisco way back many years ago. And if you're listening to this and I've got that wrong, please don't let me know. I just really have my fantasy about that. So, Joan, could you um, introduce yourself a little more, but tell us how you even, why this matters to you personally, what your personal journey with lifting women up and women's leadership is about? Well, it actually is very personal. So thanks for having me, Sarah. You know, for me, wanting to be a champion for women in the workplace, but also investing in girls' leadership comes from the roots of my childhood. For a chunk of my early years, it was just my mom and I, and I was lucky enough to have a mother who really wanted me to do better and have a brighter future. So she pushed herself by taking on different jobs, whether it was going from being an inner city school teacher in Philadelphia to then uh, working as a secretary in places like Temple University to advance her degree. Ultimately, she started logging miles to get her pilot's license, both instrument instrument and then also uh, visual as well so that she could open up the door to become an air traffic controller. And that literally tripled our income. We moved out of my grandparents' home into you know, our, our own space. And so the thing about that is that my mom always saw that I had big dreams for myself and I was a pretty extroverted child. Um, and I used to say I wanted to wear a business suit and live in New York City. She didn't know anybody that wore a business suit and she didn't know anybody that lived in New York City. So she enrolled me in youth leadership programs and that changed my life. I got to meet mentors like you, maybe did wear a business suit or had connections to New York City. So literally all of my life, I have been involved as a volunteer or a board member in these leadership programs predominantly those that invest in girls. And then going into the workplace and starting to see what was happening around me, sometimes in situations where women didn't come from the same confidence place that I did, but we were all battling the same barriers, it really can derail a woman. And and that's really now as a mother of two daughters, I I can't stop. I mean, this is, I I lead the research, but I have to put it into action because that's what matters for, for me to thrive, but also for my girls to have a bright future. So 
Talk a little bit about the impetus for writing this book. And I actually didn't read the whole title, and I want to read the um, subtitle because it's really cool. And it's Dig Your Heels In, Navigate Court corporate BS and build the company you deserve. And you're an advocate of not jumping ship, basically, right? Of testing things first and digging, digging in your heels. Talk a little bit about that and the research that leads, well, the benefits of doing that first, maybe. Yeah. Well, it came from two places. The first is that I spent 14 years in corporate America and I wasn't running away from something. I was running towards something. So that's the first thing that I always ask women that are contemplating a big move, a career transition. What's the catalyst for why you want to make this decision? The second was when I launched my business six years ago, I'm still inside some of the largest corporations in the world. And I build these relationships as I was doing research, talking to millennials, talking to women at different levels and build these relationships. They turned to me when they had an opportunity. And oftentimes you're going to get more money, a bigger title, more responsibilities if you jump ship. And there was so much glamorizing of being an entrepreneur and job hopping and labeling of that. And I know how hard it is to be an entrepreneur. You really have to have like the thick skin for it. So I just felt like there was not enough resources to say to her, let's really evaluate the situation you're in right now. And you have so much power and relationship equity. You know the players, you know the politics, you know the policies, you know where we could dig our heels in and actually start to lead the change. And that's pretty fulfilling if you if they can see that opportunity clearly. And sometimes it takes somebody from the outside, helping them think through, you know, again, the dynamic and the culture they're in and that decision. Should I stay or should I go? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, because it's a hard decision. And often it's one of, you can feel like, okay, maybe it's just me, right? I'm, I'm the problem. It's, I'm not measuring up or whatever. So in your book, you actually talk about that, right? And one of the things is you're not crazy. So yes, say a little bit about that. There's some pay. I've got a number of pages flagged in here just, but because they really resonated with people I've coached. And I know there, those are recurring questions and challenges that come up. So what are some of the top barriers or questions that come up when people are facing like frustration and trying to decide what they want to do? Yeah. And I learned this because of spending so much time with women at every level from the mailroom, I always say to the boardroom that are making this decision and evaluating things that have happened and what they want. Right. And so I know that they're really, women are phenomenal critical thinkers and, and really good at making decisions, but sometimes it's right here, right? We don't have the time or even the really, um, we don't take the courage to talk to other people about it who could see things and help us really navigate that situation. So I, my book is not just to inspire women, it's to arm them. And that's why I have tools like the should I stay or should I go reflection questions to your point to, to help you evaluate the environment, the culture, what your experience has been with management, because they say 90% of people leave a company because of the person they're working for, right? Not that company. And that's, that's always going to be a challenge, that dynamic and making sure that that one person doesn't push you out the door of a place you work so hard to get into. So help them think through that and, and really invest in the relationships at large, like that ecosystem of who they're exposed to on a daily basis, and even think about the things that give them good energy and how to work that more into their life. So that's why there's a lot of kind of 
telling a story from a woman that uh, is in a different industry about what she's experienced or what she learned and then breaking it down for the reader to say, okay, now this is how you can go and assess your situation. It was nice that you put in your takeaways from your interactions. Like here's the things to you can focus on and from this example type of thing. Yeah. I thought that was really helpful. So when you've talked and you, you talked about meeting women at different levels within an organization. So I'm guessing it's not, I mean, your focus really and your passion is around millennials, right? Am I correct? But then yeah. all women as well. I mean, it's so hard, right? I mean, I believe in, in women at all levels. And, but that specific time period, that early leader, right from college to career, I just think there's so much opportunity there. And I feel so close to that group, spending so much time with them. So that's why I do put a lot of resources there. But my, my events, it's women, all ages and, and backgrounds. So thinking about that, age group, I would agree with you. When I reflect back on the leaders who had huge impact on what I thought was possible or when I came up against what I thought was a barrier and someone was my champion, um, and I'm thinking that was mostly men, just given my industry and what I was doing. There were a couple of women, but it was the men who just went to bat and said, this is, Sarah's doing this. <laughs> and this yeah. one guy said, no, you're doing this. And I told him you couldn't. I'm thinking, I, I'm not sure I can. He goes, you can. It work, I got you covered. You're going to have a direct line to my phone. No one knows you've got that. Anything happens, but I got you covered. You can That's do that. That's their cover. Right? Yeah. yeah. Right. And so um, anyway, a number of stories where he did that to me. But what it did for me is it kept extending what I thought was possible. Yes. And you can't go back, right? So yeah. when you think about the young women and professionals you're working with now, what are the things that they in particular are coming up with that they feel are, I don't even say barriers, but they're just like they're rubbing them the wrong way in terms of life satisfaction. That's making them yeah. question. Yeah. Yes. Well, the, so the first point to make, and you and I talked about this offline, is that uh, we need male and female mentors and sponsors because right now in the positions of power and influence, it's, it is predominantly men. So we need them to support us and sponsor us and really be engaged with us. Um, and I've always had female and male mentors and sponsors. You know, the side note about sponsorship is... Uh, it's so elusive. It's so hard for people to wrap their you know, brain around. And when I started understanding the topic, I looked back and said, who are the people that did what you just said, Sarah, you know, kind of pushed me to that challenging assignment, like got me in the right rooms. I sometimes didn't even think they liked me. Like they were so hard on me and the things were so rough that they said. And you don't realize until later that, oh, and then you, or you find out maybe that person did like, you know, raise their hand and, and put me on that opportunity or, or, or whatnot. So it's really somebody that does believe that you're a top performer and is willing to put their brand on the line for you. What, to your question about what are women today, like millennial women, 20s, 30s somethings, what are they struggling with? I think we need really need to assess this environment. So in the last like five years, there's been this like just bombardment of media messages like lean in, be bossy, girl boss, sorry, not sorry. And women that were in college getting it and even high school were like, I'm going to rule the world. And they came into the traditional workplace and they were like, where are all the bells and whistles? Like, where's the like 
shooting right to the top and they're, you know, they're on like this slow climb and men are on this escalator. So I think that there was a little bit of, of that jarring, like reality check of no, like things are still pretty rough here. And when I work with top 20 business goals and I talk to the women and we're still only about a third representation in most, they are, are looking at the company websites and they're pulling down that executive page and that board page. And they're saying, walk the, walk the talk. You're telling me you want me, but you still don't have a single female on any of these key points that, you know, are the ultimate decision-making bodies. So I think that's one thing that they're becoming now a little bit more skeptical about. Can, can I break through? But that's why I'm trying to focus on them so they don't make the decision to all leave, right? Or go to startups, um, you know, unless that's absolutely the thing that they need to do. But there's so many wonderful things in big companies. And if we don't stay and we don't mobilize, we're not going to transform it, you know, from a gender perspective, a race perspective, an age perspective. And then the last point I'll make is, and this is why I care about girls so much and spend so much time in girls' leadership programs, is that we are just in a really scary mental health care crisis for young people in general across the, you know, the, the world of college and high school. But girls in particular, you know, they are, are just suffering from anxiety and depression at much higher rates. Mm-hmm. And that fear of missing out and what is valued about a girl and a woman, her looks, all that pressure from the media, as much as there's good things happening, it just worries me. And those things hold you back in your mindset. And that's why I think I still need to work on confidence and, you know, overcoming imposter syndrome and some of those self-limiting behaviors with younger women. And I'm not sure that that goes away entirely. I mean, they resurface, right? So you feel good and you get into a new thing and then you're going, I might be in over my head again, right? But if you've accomplished that and you've had someone help you early on, it, you do remember, I've been here, I can go through this. But if you've never been there before, you're lost, right? And to yeah. your point, the social media, like when you're saying everything looks glamorous, I'm thinking, running a business is work. Yeah. I don't care what people promise you, it's work. You have to show up, suit up, do the work, right? And it can be really fun. And it's, there's parts that are hard in any business, mm-hmm. size mm-hmm. or not. When you were talking about some of the exercises. And I want to encourage people to get your book. I really do, because I don't care what age you are. If you've got kids or grandkids or yourself, you're thinking, man, I'm, I'm not sure what I need to do. There really are great reflective questions in there. So, and it's, a, it's written easy, but as an easy read, right? It's not too theoretical and slow to read. But when you think about, um, the culture of a, co- a company, right? Mm-hmm. Talk about what kinds of things you're looking at there because I think it can be really easy just to um, put a broad brush across that and say, well, we're talking about the makeup of the company. Like, is there gender parity? Is there, you know, ethnic race? You know, all that kind of stuff. So you could be looking at a pool of employees versus where are they in the company? Or so anyway, talk about like assessing a culture of a corporation, and maybe even for people who are just going into a corporation before they say, yes, pick me, I want to be hired, for Mm -hmm. them to figure out how to assess that before they're in. Yes. So the definition of culture that has really stuck with me, I learned from one of my mentors, Carolyn Buckloose. She was a retired partner at Ernst & Young and is now you know, a consultant in this space. 
And she said, think about culture as the rear view mirror for how the leaders are behaving, what they're rewarding and what they're kind of recognizing. So it really, when you think about that, you think about how closely, again, I've always believed that leadership mattered at every level and that you don't have to have a title to be a leader. That really like these behaviors in the workplace, what you tell somebody is a good job, starts to create some habits and some archetypes in people. So with culture, you know, I have a lot of different exercises where you can diagnose what's going on. I think you first start with the simple facts, like you, you were implying, you know, what does the representation look like at the very tippy tippy top? But also, is there any plans to change that from a recruiting strategy from entry level? What does middle management look like? So I think really getting the lay of the land and then thinking about your industry. I worked with a lot of women in asphalt and construction industry. I mean, that's like one of the worst, less than 2% women. And they are in such a deficit of talent in the next five years. And so they're starting to band together women in the industry because there's really only going to be one in like practically every company. So that's something. Think about your company, think about the industry. And so I think once you know what the the numbers are, I think then you can start thinking about the day-to-day experience. Like, how are you treated? What's happening in meetings? What's that meeting culture like? What's the productivity culture like? I mean, because this is the thing, there's always good with the bad too. And, and, and it's really fair to be able to say, but actually my company is really community minded. And like, I really love that we all know each other's families and there's some good there too, but you know what? You aren't on as fast a trajectory as the guy that was hired next to you. So I think that's the first situation is know the landscape. And then I think the second is really starting to get the knowledge about all these things I'm talking about. Because sometimes people don't realize it could be different, right? They really think like, if this is me, or maybe this is just my specific company, or there's something about it, they don't understand that like, this is absolutely pervasive. And that's supposed to give you the the courage and the endurance to, to like, to lead the change, which isn't easy. But I think if you then have a vision for what it could look like, and then the biggest thing I tell everyone, and I, and I, and this is what I focused on in chapter one is, this is not just the right thing to do. This is the smartest thing to do. This is for business. This is for society. This is not just for women. Everybody wins. Men win too. Hey there, No Labels, No Limits podcast listeners. Over the course of this podcast, we've been pretty intentional about not using advertising so that we can bring you nothing but inspirational stories. But today, for the first time, I wanted to share with you that there are two opportunities coming up If you've been considering finding a coach, now's the time to review the six-week Strategic Vision Achievers mini course or the 12-week intensive course. Find out more information about visiting sarahbox.com forward slash coaching or shoot me an email at sarah at sarahbox.com. Put in six-week or 12-week coaching and I'll follow up with you. Thanks and let's get back to the podcast. Talk about the economics of that, because you presented some great data on the economics of women and business and the return on investment and equity Yeah, I because mean, of women. Yeah, just even representation. When you think at the top of the chain that when women, um, are, more women are on boards, that the company performs right. You go from zero women on a board to three women on the board. It's been associated with an increase of 15% in profit, 60% return on equity and return on investment. And what happens is what you're seeing right now at the Fortune 500, we saw a dip of the number of female CEOs. It was at like 
went down to 24 in 2018. And now we're back up to around 33, still only 6%. But, but having those women. I'm sorry. That's just, I'm, <laughs> I know. we dipped to 24 out of 500. And I'm thinking, okay, the math. So when you said 6%, I'm going, okay. But I'm, I'm not laughing at that. But, but when crazy, I saw, right? well, really I saw those matter. stats and I wondered what happened. Right. Yeah. So. Yes. And it's just like, these are the biggest companies that commands like the most power and influence in our economy, not just domestic, but globally. And so when you don't have women at the helm and then the couple that get up there have so much like harsh of a spotlight on them, like we were talking about earlier. So, so, you know, first knowing that now we, we are back on, like, we're getting more women in the CEO position from 2018. One of the key reasons they believe is that there was this huge, like, multiplier effect of women getting on boards. So if women are behind the, the board, in the boardroom, they're looking for more talented women to bring up. And then when women are in senior leadership positions, companies have been shown to have much more family-friendly policies, more inclusive benefits, whether it's flexibility or it's the healthcare choices they invest in that benefit everyone. And Fortune's most admired list, those on there have like double the number of senior leaders that are women than those that are less reputable. So there's just, there's so many pieces of it that really spell out the opportunity. McKinsey says that all these efforts around gender equality, if we accelerated them, they'd add trillions of dollars onto, you know, our national or global economy. So a business case. Well, that and the fact that, and you actually put this information in your book too, the, the percentage of women who are driving purchasing. Yes. Right. I mean, yes. And that was like one of the impetus for the research studies that I did is that, you know, women are driving 92% of, of most consumer decisions, everything from, you know, healthcare to, uh, you know, di- electronics. So sports, sports decisions too. So you want to reach your consumer you can't just put her behind a glass wall in a focus group. She's got to be sitting at the boardroom table using her perspective and, you know, integrating her, her, her vision and her opinion. Okay. Slightly backtrack question. So when you were talking about the asphalt industry and um, really like one woman in a company type of thing. So in that case, and in many similar cases, maybe in smaller size companies, um, one of our listeners may be one of the only couple of women in that firm, right? They may not have a mentor or a sponsor in there. Now you talk about the importance of networking and creating a network. Can you talk a little bit about how someone can look for, I mean, understanding who else is in the industry is one thing, but actually reaching out and creating connections, how someone could start to do that and why they would want to. And we're not, just so I'm on the same playing field, you're not talking about going to mixers and calling that networking. No. Okay. Just want to be, well, some people think that, right? Yeah, I think that's why they don't like it or they don't like the sound of it. Okay, so first, the data. Everything I've audited has said that about one in five women are onlys. One in five women are the only person on their team or the only person in their department or you know even the organization or at their level. So knowing that and you think about the pressure that places on you, A, to conform and just fit in or B, everything, every move you make is like dictating what the, the our entire gender is capable of. That's pressure. So... <laughs> There's a there. There's another podcast episode on um, the Lean In podcast, Tilted, uh, about it and interviewing women more at the executive level about what that feels like. Um, so, 
so back to building those relationships. So we already said that you have to have relationships with men and women and you have to find your allies. And so what I, I spent a whole chapter writing about relationships because they're the core of everything and kind of understanding, okay, we got mentor and sponsor, but you can have allies and champions and sounding boards. And what I am starting to learn through my workshops is that women, I think, are really compartmentalizing these relationships or they're being, they're having too high expectations. Like I have to have this perfect relationship with you, Sarah, where like we see each other at least once a month. We spend at least an hour and a half together. We're real deep. You know something about me that's really personal. I know something about you. Like it doesn't have to be like that. I could be like, Sarah has tremendous communication skills and she wants to learn more about like my knowledge in XYZ area. And that's the basis of our relationship. And you grow from it. I grow from it. Cool. So I think that women always associate networking as like dirty and inauthentic, whereas men talk about it as like powerful and like opportunity. Every time I work with a group of young professionals, to your point about the mixers, I'll say, all right, when's the last time you guys were at a conference or somewhere where you got a business card of somebody that you're like, wow, this person's really impressive. I can't wait to continue the conversation to follow up. And how many of you put it in a drawer and like forgot about it? And you're like, ah, like a year later, what I wish I could have, I could follow up that person. So everybody knows that phenomena. Right. And I say, who actually still reaches out to them? All the men's hands go up in the room over and over again. I've seen this. And the women are like, not only did their hands go up that like I've either contacted them or I'm planning to, I'm going to ask them for something. So this is the thing. I feel like women are really, we love relationships and cultivating them and growing them, but really hold ourselves back from leveraging them and understanding that it's, it can be a give and get. And that's, that's the, that's the opportunity I think to work on. And find it, finding relationships everywhere, whether it's going back to your alma mater or it's, for me, it was always being involved in nonprofits. That gave me a total platform to really just kind of experiment with my leadership skills and be really passionate about something. They so appreciated my efforts, um, but there was definitely different personalities. And so I kind of got to work that out without it <laughs> impacting my end of the year bonus. So, but, and then long-term relationships with people that, You never know who can open up what door. You don't know or how you can reciprocate in the future. You know, and that's the great thing is when you know folks, and to your point, you don't have to know someone's life story, but if you know what's kind of important to them and you can just say, hey, and and I had that opportunity not too long ago where one of the gals on my podcast I interviewed, and this may happen to you too, where it's like something just clicks in your head. You're going, they need to know so-and-so, right? So we were off air and I said, hey, I know this gal and I think you guys, can I introduce you? She said, yeah, it ends up, they're both foreign, they live here. Well, they have, they live here now, but they both grew up in the same city, went to the same school, Mm. studied with some of the same teachers. You just had that feeling. There was, but there was something about their personalities. I thought (sighs) you would like each other, right? (laughs) So, but you don't know and you don't know. So I, I love think people that are connectors. There's a woman, Michelle Garside, who is a founder of Soul Creative and Soul Camps. Like that is her gift. She's constantly connecting people in the small business world and the crossover bridging. And you can just see how much joy she gets out of it, besides the fact that it's also incredibly generous and and it always turns into something. And she doesn't have to stay involved forever. That's the beauty no, of it. No, it's the handoff. Yeah. 
And I think we attach, and this may be an oversimplification, but to when you're telling your story about like the guys raising their hand that they followed up and stayed connected, I think sometimes we put too much pressure on ourselves like, well, if I don't have anything to offer, why would I reach out versus saying, hey, I really liked meeting you. I would blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like, you don't ask, you can't get, you're a hundred percent guaranteed. Nothing is going to happen. Exactly. If you never ask, the answer is always no. Always no. So, um, there was a couple other things I wanted to ask you to talk about. And that is, um, like leveraging the epiphany of a wake up call. Will you talk a little, I thought that was brilliant. And so I wanted to ask you a little bit about that while we still have a few minutes left. Oh my gosh, you're the first person to ask me about that. And that was actually part of like, that was part of my book proposal initially that I became really obsessed with is this idea that, because again, as I was talking to women that were juggling this, this tightrope of should I stay or should I go? And things were really frustrating them at work. Some women used it as fuel and they'd lead change and others, like it was just really breaking them down. And so I was looking constantly for this research about epiphanies. I'm like, there has to be some science around this. So I talk about the science in the book, the only study that I could find out of the University of Ohio, and they basically, Ohio State University, they basically used it with gaming theory. And they were just watching, you know, as somebody figured out what to do, you know, how to win the game or like to get more points, whatever what they were doing by like, you know, they had them hooked up to monitors for their heart rate, the heart pace. They were looking at like their, their, you know, body language and, and, and behaviors. The, The takeaway was this, the players that actually did um, a better job and had better outcomes were the ones that weren't focused on evaluating their competitor, like watching what they were doing and using that to assess it. It were the ones that got really just confident in figuring out what was working for them. And in this world of FOMO and, and everybody looking at everybody else and thinking that the grass is greener and judging it, like that's, that's what I was like, okay, if I can hold on to that, that means that I can give women and combine that with what I know about our decision-making skills, that we're not emotional and we're not crazy. And actually in the most high stressful situations, women perform better at nine out of the 30 studies I think that I audited and the rest we do equal as men. So, okay, if I could just give you the confidence that in stressful situations, you've got this, don't look to them, stay here, you know, and then this is how you leverage that wake up call because there's triggers. I mean, I use this in my personal life uh, when I need to use it more in my personal life, but it's like, why am I getting so fired up about this? What happened before? Is there a pattern and who's doing it? And, and that's what I try to walk through there is try to really break this down and figure it out. And, and, and like, ultimately, can we figure out and map if you can lead the change or if there's something you can confront and overcome there? Well, I really loved it. I was reading it. I'm thinking, yep, that's, that's such a great, it's a reframe. Yes. It's, it's a, a reframe. reframe. Yeah. And um, I think the ability to reframe is one of the most powerful things you can learn because you can change the story internally, which then lets you kind of go, okay, I don't have to accept it like this. I can tell myself this. And in that story, I can be doing well. I can, you know, it sounds kind of corny, but it really makes a difference. No, I'm totally in there. It's why I love Brene Brown, right? It's just like these stories that we tell ourselves and, and it gives us power again. You kind of like regain control of the situation. But again, to your point, you're not comparing external 
Mm-mm. You're going, okay, what's happened to me in this situation? What were the triggers? What can I do better? What, what do I love about what happened? And what is not serving me? Yes, I like that. And I think those kinds of things help. And when you say we use it in our personal life, why else would we bother learning? Right. You're right. <laughs> Honestly, totally. I think I don't yeah. know everything I learn and what I learn from you. I never walk away from something going, man, that's what a waste. I'm never going to use that information. There's always yeah. a nugget, right? Yeah. It's so, all just for work. Yes. It is. It's, it's great. And then you can share it with someone else. So I'm going to ask you to, um, as we're ending, I'm going to ask you if you'd be willing to come back in the future as a guest because sure. there's Absolutely. so much more to mine from you. And then also, what would you like, what are the top one or two things you'd like to leave our listeners with as they're trying to figure out where they are in this world of work related to digging their heels in or? Okay. So let me, I was thinking threes. So one thing we didn't cover. Yeah. One thing we didn't cover, but I I really want to emphasize because I've been working in the world of sports uh, with New York Mets and U.S. soccer. And I'm so obsessed, fangirl over our U.S. women's national soccer team that's going to, it's about to start in the world, the Women's World Cup. Women supporting women. Hashtag women supporting women. So whether it's sports and that's really showing up for the women that are on the field, um, but also in our industry that are speaking on panels. I was uh, doing this workshop at Major League Baseball and I was invited by Renee Tirado, their first ever chief diversity officer. She's the extraordinary visionary and she's got these really cool interviews out there. And I told you know, the men and women in the room, I'm like, you can just share that on your own personal Facebook page. Just say, I'm so excited to be a part of an organization that has a woman like that doing things for us. So women supporting women is really important. And so then second takeaway is invest in girls. You know, they, the stereotypes still exist that pigeonhole, you know, girls to be a certain way. But then there's these studies that say 98% of boys have been told you're acting like a girl, therefore implying to them that being emotional is a bad thing and not allowing them to be able to achieve their capacity and their potential. So boys are held back and girls are held back by these just unjust um, stereotypes. And so I think investing in these girls programs, because we still, they can't see themselves everywhere yet. And some are going to be strong enough to pioneer their way there. Others are never going to think that's a possibility for them, STEM, sports. So invest in girls, you know, and give back and I think expose yourself to them as role models. And finally, the third is think about this decision before you walk away. If you're working for any size company or anybody else, but there's something frustrating you, kind of using the tools in my book to figure out if, if that frustration can be fuel for you to be a, a change agent, you know, a positive catalyst for change um, and what you really need and deserve. Those They're are great. Favorite. I love all of those three. And I would say to the listener, if you read the book and you still can't tell, like you're thinking, I'm not sure, stay or go, please reach out to a mentor, someone who can be dispassionate and listen to you and help you think through and be an advocate for you. Someone who's not, they, as we say, they don't have a dog in the hunt. They yeah. don't care. They just yeah. want you to succeed. Because to your point, getting that outside perspective can really open up things for us. Help us reframe those stories. Reframe yeah. those stories. Yeah. So Joan, I'm just so glad I got to meet you on this Thank interview. You. And um, best of luck on your book. It really is a great read. And um, I'm happy to be a part of your journey. 
Thank you. It means a lot. I, I love your mission. And I said, you exposed me to so many tremendous people by listening to the podcast. So I'm really excited to be a part of the community you're building. So thank you for the invitation. You're welcome. Well, that's it for this week's edition of the No Labels, No Limits podcast. We hope you like what you heard. And if you did, we ask that you go over to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. If you know someone who would enjoy this podcast, please be sure to share. And until next time, have a great week living a no labels, no limits, and no excuses life.